Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. Take your Bibles this morning and grab them and go with me to Mark chapter number 11, the book of Mark and chapter 11 for our time together around God's word. Mark chapter 11 this morning and you're going to find your verse, verse number 27. If you don't have your Bible with you, there should be one perhaps in the back of the seat in front of you. Maybe in the back of the seat behind you, you'll find a copy of God's Word. And I would encourage you to pick up that copy and follow along with us. You're going to need it. Mark chapter number 11 and verse number 27. Going to go down to verse number 33. And if you found your place and if you're willing and able, stand with me out of respect for the reading of God's Word. Mark chapter 11 and verse 27 down to verse 23. Mark 11 verse 27 to verse 33. And they come again to Jerusalem. You're going to remember, as we've been studying through this, Jesus has made his way. This is his final week. He's made his way into Jerusalem. They threw the palm branches in front of him. This is what is celebrated as Palm Sunday. They declared, Hosanna, Hosanna. God is coming to save us. He's coming to deliver us. He marches all the way to the temple. Then he turns and he goes home. Get something to eat. Comes the next day, curses the fig tree, goes into the temple, takes all of those who are exchanging money, who've corrupted the worship of God, and he drives them out. Now they're coming again, he says. They come again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, there come to him the chief priest, the scribes, and the elders... And they say unto him, By what authority doest thou these things? And who gave thee this authority to do these things? And Jesus answered, and he said unto them, I will ask of you one question, and answer me. And I will tell you by what authority I do these things. So they asked Jesus, who is, who is the one that gave you the authority to do this? And Jesus responds, well, I'll answer that if you answer my question. And so here's my question for you. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or of men? Answer me. And they reason with themselves. You can kind of see it, right? They huddle up this group of chief priests, scribes, and elders. They all huddle up and they start, well, if we say this, then it's going to be like that. And if we say that, it's going to be like this. So they reason with themselves saying, well, if we shall say from heaven, well, then he will say, why then did you not believe him? But if we shall say of men, well, they feared the people. For all men counted John that he was a prophet indeed. And so they answered and they said unto Jesus, We cannot tell. And Jesus answering saith unto them, Neither do I tell you by what authority I do these things. Our Heavenly Father, we ask this morning that you give us understanding as... It relates to the life of Jesus, and we pray that you would give us a willing heart to see the authority of Jesus, not just in this passage, Father, but in our lives, in our world, in our decision-making. And may we find ourselves yielding, submitting to the authority of Christ 
And in Jesus' name we pray. And all the church said together, amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. One of the defining characteristics of our culture is individualism. And anything that comes along, or anyone that comes along, and challenges our ability to do what we want, when we want, how we want, with whoever we want, must be totally abandoned and completely discredited. Individualism in our day is what leads us to minimize the importance of things like commitment or relationship. Individualism is the reason why most people don't live in relationship very well. They're always fighting. They're always leaving. They're always running. There's always contention. But if we were able to pull back the mask of individualism this morning, what we would actually find is we would find a hatred for authority. It's it's not relationships or commitment that people are so afraid of. No, people are desperate for relationship. It's a particular kind of relationship that people despise. The real problem then isn't individualism. The real problem is anti-authorityism. It's a refusal to have to live my life according to someone else's terms. I should get to define for myself how I live. I should get to choose for myself where I go. I should get to choose for myself the kind of person that I want to be. I want to do what I want, when I want, how I want, with whoever I want. And so we hate the idea of anyone coming along and saying, you in fact cannot do that because there is a higher authority than you. The Christians are those who recognize, we see that God is great, God is glorious, and we live lives in response to the greatness and goodness of our God. When you see God for who he truly is, what that produces in you is a desire to want to live under the authority of God. Being under authority, well, that subject, that's a little uncomfortable, isn't it? And most of us have been hurt by somebody in authority. And so the idea of living under authority from someone else, we we tend to struggle with that. But this is the good news from the Bible. The good news is that not all authority is bad. In fact, the gospel of Jesus Christ tells us that he, Jesus, was the one with all authority. And he used his authority to serve and protect us. He used his authority not to take advantage of us, but in fact to rescue us. The Bible says that he was in all parts equal as God, and yet he lowered himself and became a man. He put on flesh. 
He came into this world. And he did not come here to condemn the world. He came here to save the world. He didn't come to hurt. He came to help. That Jesus, the God of all authority, laid down his authority to save us, to serve us, to guide us, to, to help us, to help all those that would trust in him. One of the most overlooked characteristics of Jesus' ministry is that everywhere Jesus went, he left this great impression on people. The impression that he spoke and lived with authority. You remember in Mark chapter 1, in our study in the book of Mark, Jesus had gone into the temple. He sat, he taught those who were in the temple. He was of the age of 12 years old, and yet he's standing in the temple, and he is teaching those who have made it their life's work to understand the law of God, and he is instructing them, the Bible says in Mark 1, with authority, and they marveled at it. Where did this kid get this kind of authority? You remember in Mark chapter number 2, Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. You'll remember in Mark chapter 3, Jesus has the authority to bind the strong man, demonic oppression, demonic possession, Satan himself. You'll remember in Mark chapter 2, he has the authority over the law, which is why he can do particular things on the Sabbath day that no one else can do. Why? Because Jesus had authority. And so what's happening in our passage is the same as all of that. They recognize Jesus' authority and they want to know, where did you get this authority? That's their question for Jesus. That's the outline. It's a question for Jesus. Where did you get the authority to say the things you're saying? Where did you get the authority to do the things that you are doing? Who is the one who is telling you to say or do the things that you are doing. You, you remember the context. Jesus has gone into the temple. He's pronounced judgment on all of those that are in the temple. He's cursed the fig tree. And what he said was, this temple is as cursed as that fig tree is. It will wither and it will die because it is fruitless. So now the Bible tells us in verse number 27, look at it with me. That the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. So this group of people made up what is called the Sanhedrin. This is, by our understanding, the executive, legislative, and judicial offices of Israel. These are the people, these three groups of people, they represented all the religious power in Israel. They didn't just represent the religious power, they represented the legal power as well. They ran the temple. They were in charge. Their belief was that their authority, as the Sanhedrin, that their authority came to God. And so they think that it is entirely appropriate for them to come up to Jesus and say to him, who is it that gave you the authority, notice what they say in verse 28, to do these things. Look at verse 28. These things. So what they're referring to is Jesus cleansing the temple. They're referring to Jesus' preaching and teaching on the day previous. They, they want to know, what credentials do you have 
to do the things that you are doing? Whose name are you doing them in? The Sanhedrin, the, the chief priests, the scribes, the elders. They want to know, who does this guy think he is? That's what they're asking. Now, I want, I want you to notice this. They are, they are not coming with an open mind. They're not coming with a fact-finding mission. No, they're coming to Jesus and they're saying, we are the authority here. We are the ones who get the say. We are the legislative, executive offices. We are the ones who you have to check with. And you did not check with us. And so we are here to put you in check. But it's a good question for us this morning, is it not? How do we know where Jesus got his authority from? How do we know that Jesus, in fact, got his authority from God? I got five things for you. Notice this first. His authority is seen in his teaching. The Bible tells us that he, he taught with authority. Look back in verse number 18 of chapter 11. It says that they sought for a way that they might destroy him, for they feared him because all of the people was astonished at his doctrine. So they listened to the things he said and they were amazed at what he said. They were amazed at the things he taught and they, they recognized it as having a particular authority that no one else in, in Israel had. And not only did he teach with authority, but he actually demonstrated this power and authority. Remember, he curses the fig tree. Then verse 20, they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter remembers that the day before, he cursed it. And so he says, Master, the fig tree which thou cursed is actually withered away. So Jesus wasn't just offering empty words. When Jesus taught, he taught with authority. He taught with clarity. He taught with power. And the things that Jesus said came as a result of the God in which who had sent him. And so they want to know where is your authority coming from? What they mean by that question is they mean this, that he isn't quoting anyone. He isn't footnoting anyone. They, they want to know, where did you get these truths? Where did you get this teaching? It's, it's interesting. If you, if you go to Israel, even today, you will see uh, strict Orthodox Jews who are walking around Jerusalem. They're dressed in all black. They're very easy to recognize. Wear long coats. They don't cut the corners of their beards, so their beards and their sideburns grow, grow long. Some of them have them tied together. They, they wear prayer shawls. They have frontlets for their heads. They have frontlets for their wrists, little boxes that they keep prayers in. But what you'll also notice about these individuals is that they, they wear different kinds of hats. Some of them have really short-brimmed hats that are flat on the top. Some of them have wide-brimmed hats that look like a cowboy hat, has a, has a fold in the middle. Some of their hats are fuzzy. There are all kinds of different hats. While we were in Israel, I asked our guide, we're, we're going through the city, I see all of these people wearing different hats. And I said, Avi, why, why, why are there so many different hats among this group of people? He says, well, the hat signifies who your rabbi is. They, they identify themselves with a particular teaching by wearing a certain hat. 
The hat ties them to a particular teacher, a particular doctrine. So Jesus comes along and they're saying to Jesus, whose teaching are you offering? What rabbi are you following? Who did you get this authority from? And Jesus refuses to wear the hat, if you would. They want to know where he got his authority. Well, if you want to know the authority of Jesus and Jesus' words, all you have to do is listen to what Jesus himself said. And Jesus says this, if you have heard me, you have heard the Father, because I and the Father are one. You want to know the authority Jesus had? The authority Jesus had came from God himself. Why? Because Jesus, in fact, is God. Jesus is God. Jesus was God. And Jesus taught as God. Jesus' authority is seen in his teaching. But Jesus' authority, second, is seen in that he is forgiving sins. You remember they brought to Jesus a man who was paralyzed. They cut a hole in the roof. They lowered the man in front of Jesus. And as Jesus saw this, he marveled at the faith of these men. He marveled at the faith of this man. And the Bible says Jesus, looking at them, looking at this man, said to him, Rise, get up off of your bed and walk, and your sins be forgiven you. And Jesus had authority to forgive sins. And certainly you know this morning that you have sin. The Bible teaches that we've all sinned. All of us have sinned. We've all come short, the Bible says, of the glory or the holiness, the righteousness of God. And so the question this morning for you and me is not, have you sinned? Of course we have. The question this morning is, what will you do with your sin? Where will you turn with your sin? How will you find forgiveness of sin? You know that there is no religion that can forgive you of your sin. In fact, religion itself offers no forgiveness. Religion says if you want to get forgiveness, you have to earn it on your own. And the way you earn forgiveness is by doing good so you're never actually forgiven for the wrong you've done. You can only do enough good that outweighs the wrong you've done if you're, if you're one of the good people. But you know you can't keep that up. I know I can't keep that up. I can do good works for a little while, but I can never do good works long enough. Something will happen. Someone will cut me off in traffic and I'll get angry. Someone will say something mean about me and I'll respond with pride and arrogance. I'll demand my way to be selfish. Surely you and I are, 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 are smart enough to know that there is not enough good that we could do to ever outdo all the sin, the wrong that we are done. Religion cannot forgive you of your sin. Religion can only teach you how to bury your sin, how to cover up your sin. But the problem with that is even our righteousness is as filthy rags. What that means is even our good work, it's contaminated, it's touched by our sinful hands, which makes the good work that we're doing sinful and wrong. Religion can't forgive you of your sin, but along comes Jesus. Jesus who says, this is why I came. I came into this world to forgive people from their 
sins, the Bible says. Jesus says, I am here to offer forgiveness for sin. Jesus has authority to forgive sin. Jesus, third, has authority to save sinners. The Bible says in John chapter 1, but as many as receive him, speaking of Jesus, but as many as received Jesus to them, gave he power. He gave them the authority to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. God alone, Christ alone, has the ability to forgive us our sins. He has the authority to save us from our sins, to remove us from our Father who is a liar, the devil, and bring us into the family of God if we would simply believe on his name, John 1 says. And Jesus has the authority to judge who are you to say that your sin is worse than mine? Or my sin is worse than yours? Or our sin isn't as bad as someone else's? You see, we do not have that authority. Sin in any form, sin in any fashion, is a sin against a holy and a righteous God. Our sin separates us from a holy and righteous God. I am no one to say that my sin is less than your sin. And you are no one to say that your sin is less than my sin. But I will tell you this. God is someone who has something to say about all of our sin. And he says that our sin has separated us from him. The wages of sin, the Bible says, is death. Which is why we need someone to rescue us from our sin. Our sin has separated us from a holy and a righteous God. It has separated us from that God in this life right now. And if you and I die separated from God in this life, the Bible says that we will enter into eternal life and we will be separated from God forever in a place that the Bible calls hell. All of this because of our sin. And Jesus has authority to judge our sin, and he will, and he will, and he does. Jesus has authority to save us from our sin. Jesus has authority to forgive us of our sin. And Jesus alone has the authority to stand and offer to you and to me this, this kind of eternal life. Last one here, the Bible says that Jesus has the authority over life and death. John chapter 10 the Bible reads, no man taketh my life from me, Jesus says, but I lay it down of myself. No one takes my life from me. I willingly and gladly have the authority to lay down my life. And I also have the authority to pick it back up again. So it is the authority of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And why did Jesus lay his life down? Why did Jesus give himself on the cross? And the answer is because his life and his life alone is the only way that you and I can find forgiveness of sins. He has the authority to offer to you and to me forgiveness of sins. And Jesus had all of this authority. And it's this authority that Jesus is teaching and preaching. It is this kind of authority that got him into trouble with the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. Because they believed that they were the only ones who could lead anyone to God. 
They believed that the only way to God was through their authority, was through wearing their hat. And then along comes Jesus who says, no, 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 there is no way to God except through me. I am the door. I am the way. I am the path. I am the life. Believe on me and you shall be saved. I'm asking you very straightforwardly this morning, have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ for forgiveness of your sin? I'm not asking you if you are religious. I am not asking you if you have sinned. I am asking you this morning if you have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ for forgiveness of your sin. And if you're saying this morning, well, Pastor, you don't know my sin. It's really bad. I don't need to know your sin. God already knows. And God has offered you forgiveness of that sin through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you believed on the Lord Jesus? I'm not asking you this morning if you're religious. I'm not asking you if you help the needy or feed the hungry or clothe the poor. I'm asking you this morning, have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you repented of your sin and thrown yourself wholly on him as your only way to God? Have you believed on Jesus? If your answer this morning is no, we would love to take the Bible and show you from the Bible how you can know Jesus is your Savior. If your answer this morning is yes, well then I am asking you, have you allowed Jesus to be the authority of your life? Not just the authority of your soul, but the authority of your life. Are you allowing him to be the authority of the way you use your free time? Are you allowing him to be the authority of the way you talk to your husband or your wife? Are you allowing him to be the authority of the way you use your body? Are you allowing him to be the authority of the way in which you pursue your sexuality? Are you allowing him to be the authority of the way in which you treat your neighbor? Are you allowing him to be the authority of the way in which you give your resources? Are you allowing him to be the authority of the way that you go to work, of the way you treat your co-workers? Are you allowing him to be the authority of your life in the way that you talk or parent your children? Have you allowing him to guide and shape you in this way? Is he in fact the authority of your life? Who is the authority of your life? There's a passage in Joshua in the Old Testament, Joshua 24. Joshua stands in front of the children of Israel and he says to them, Choose you this day whom you will serve. You will either serve God or you will serve a God of your own making. But do you understand the, 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 the position that Joshua is putting the children of Israel in? Do not, do not be deceived in thinking that you will serve no one. No, you, you in fact will serve someone. You will either serve the living God who has revealed himself to us in his word or you will serve a false God of this world. But Joshua is saying to the children of Israel and I am saying to you this morning, choose this day who your authority will be. That is what stands before us as Christians. Will we allow the world, the culture, the society to, sh to, sh to shape the way in which we think 
about our lives, about our bodies, when we allow the world, the culture, the society to shape the way in which we interact with one another, when we allow the world, the culture, the society to shape the way in which we use the resources that God has entrusted to us, or will we say, no, 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 my life is not my own. I've been bought with a price. Therefore, I want to glorify God in my body and my spirit because they are His. You see, friend, if you are a believer, God does not just own your soul. God owns you. He owns all of you. Body, soul, spirit, mind, will, emotions. He owns it all. And we are to use and live with all of those as a part of our earthly experience, but we are to live and use those in honor and submission to the authority of God. We are to think the thoughts that God thinks. We are to believe the things that the Bible says. We are to yield our ways, the ways in which we live and act in this world according to the scriptures. Not because we are better than anyone else. This is not true. But because God has so spoken it. Because God is our authority. It's a question for Jesus. Whose hat are you wearing? But it's a question from Jesus. So notice how Jesus responds. Jesus says, verse 29, well, I'll ask you one question. You answer me. I'll tell you by what authority I do these things if you tell me the answer to this question. And here's the question. The baptism of John. In other words, he is speaking of a specific event. He's not speaking of all of the baptisms that John did. He is speaking of the one particular event where John, when Jesus approached John, as John was baptizing people. And Jesus approaches John and John says of Jesus, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And Jesus came down to John in the water. And John said to Jesus, I need to be baptized by you. But Jesus says, no, 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 this is not the way that God would have us to do this. God intends for you to baptize me as a forerunner, as a shadow of what I am to do. And so John baptizes Jesus. Jesus goes down into the water of the, of the wrath of sin for us, Jesus. Jesus comes up out of the water and the dove, the Bible says, descends on Jesus and the voice from God from heaven that day says, behold, this is my son in who I am well pleased. And Jesus is talking about that. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all present in that moment. The full authority of the triune God of which we serve, the God of the Bible. And so Jesus says to the scribes, chief priests, and elders, was John's authority from heaven or men? When he says heaven, he's speaking of God. We would say it like, was, God, was John's baptism from God or was it from man? Did God empower John? Did God reveal this to John? Or did John come up with it on his own? And this is what puts them in the juxtaposition where they go, well, if we say it's from men, well, then people are going to be mad at us because they believe John to be a prophet. We would be saying that John was a liar and we'd be saying that John is no prophet at all. And they would turn and they would stone us and they would kill us. We would lose all of our grip on power. 
But if we say that John's baptism was from God, well, then we would be elevating Jesus' authority above our own. So we cannot say it's from John, or we cannot say it's from God, and we cannot say it is from men. So notice their answer. Their answer is, we cannot tell. They're saying, we do not know. And you do know this, that that is not entirely true, is it? It is not that they did not know, it's that they were unwilling to acknowledge it. They, they knew full well whether John's baptism was from God or from men. But they were unwilling to acknowledge the truth. They decided to ignore the truth that was right in front of them. Because that would mean that they would have to give up things that they didn't want to give up. That would mean that they could not do what they want, when they want, how they want with whoever they want, if they acknowledged the truth about Jesus. So they have a question for Jesus. They hear a question from Jesus, but let me give you this last one. There's a question for us today. You see, individuals who can't be honest with themselves, they won't be honest with Jesus. And individuals who are not honest with Jesus are not honest with themselves. He saw these men for who they really were. It may surprise you to know this, but Jesus, in fact, came to save men just like this. This was a rescue operation. But they rejected his grace. Not all of them. There's a man the Bible teaches us who is named Nicodemus who is among them. Nicodemus in John chapter 3 saw the teaching of Jesus, heard the teaching of Jesus, recognized the authority of Jesus. He knew Jesus didn't wear anyone else's hat. He knew that Jesus was from God. But Nicodemus lacked the courage to acknowledge it publicly. And the Bible says that Nicodemus came to Jesus in the middle of the night when no one else was looking. And he asks Jesus, where are you from? What do you teach? I want to know more about this. How do I get to God? Jesus says, the only way to God is to believe in me. You must be, he tells Nicodemus, born again. You must acknowledge yourself. You must acknowledge your sin. You must acknowledge what I've come to do. And you must believe in me. This authority affects every aspect of Nicodemus' life. He goes from that place in John chapter 3, a completely different man than he came in. But how does Jesus' authority affect our lives? There are probably more ways than this, but I thought of four. Here's, here's one. His authority gives us the willingness to commit. His authority gives us the willingness to commit. Our willingness to commit ourselves to others. It tells us a lot about our understanding of Jesus' authority. The test of how submissive we are is a, is, a, is a revelation of how much of Jesus we fully understand. How we submit when we are told by an authority figure to do something that we don't like. How we submit when we're told by God to live in a way that we would choose rather to not live. How we are how we submit when we do or don't agree with something that's happening. 
is a revelation of what we know about Jesus. All of us have been in this position. We're driving down the 710 or the 405. A police officer pulls up behind us. We're driving faster than we know we should. So we immediately put our hands at 10 and 2 on the wheel, sit up straight and tall, and what? Slow down. Why do we do this? Why do we gladly submit to the law of the road when the police officer comes behind us? Is it because we're just so happy to obey speeding laws? No. It's because we have a fear of a speeding ticket. This is the way most people go about submitting to God. I'll submit to you if there's, a, if there's a lightning bolt attached to the other end of it. But this is not the way that God teaches us to live our life. The key to the Christian life, the key to growing in the Christian life, is to gladly submit to God, not because of fear, but to gladly submit to God because we trust His authority as good. That God's way is the best way. God's word is the way in which we ought to live. We'll not do so perfectly. But that does not mean that we ought to give up every effort to obey God. In fact, we should find ourselves willing to commit to God's word, willing to commit to God's way, and to commit Gladly, not out of fear, but because we know God's way is best. But second, his authority gives us a readiness to be courageous. You see, we don't have to be afraid. People can hurt us, sure. People can threaten us, sure. People can attack us and malign us and accuse us, sure. But what we recognize about Jesus' authority is that Jesus' authority is always operating behind the scenes. The Bible teaches us that nothing happens in our lives that isn't for our own good. So anytime we face these kind of external threats or external problems or external attacks, what we can know is that there is an internal good that is being done as a result. So we don't have to run in fear of these things. We can stand up and courageously confront them. It's like a, a football game. Think of the players on the football field. They, they tower over the referee. The players are bigger. The players are stronger. The players are faster. The players are more powerful than the normally older, smaller, out of shape referee. But in the game, the players can use their power to knock someone down but the referees can use their authority to put you out of the game. You see, you should not confuse power with authority. Does the world have power? Yeah. Do they try to use their power to knock us down? Yeah. 
Are they bigger and stronger and faster than us? Yeah. But they do not have the ultimate authority over us. So we can be courageous in the face of a world and a culture and a society that is bigger than we are because we stand on the authority of God. You see, his authority gives us a readiness to be courageous. It gives us a willingness to commit. His, his authority gives us a confidence that he will complete what he began. He will finish what he started. And here's the good news. God isn't finished with you or me just yet. God isn't done with any of us yet. Here's how you know when God will be finished with his work in you. God will be finished with his work in you because he will take you to heaven to be with him. Completed. Glorified. Fully redeemed in that moment. So we can have a confidence that God will complete what he started. And last one. His authority gives us a worshipfulness in our circumstances. A worshipfulness in our circumstances. Have you ever doubted? You ever questioned what God is doing? You ever wondered what God's up to? You ever found yourself in a moment, maybe it's with a diagnosis, maybe it's with a friend, maybe it's with a financial situation, and you find yourself at the end, you're just exhausted, and you're thinking, what else could I possibly do? You know what you should do in that moment? You should worship God. You see, if you are living under the authority of God, then no matter what your circumstances are, no matter what your health diagnosis is, no matter what the cultural environment is like, we are free to stand and proudly worship God for who our God is. We don't have to cower in fear. We don't have to demand it to be our way. No, we can find ourselves committing ourselves to his word, his way, and his will in our lives. Why? Because we live under his authority, not our own. We live under his word, not our own. We live under his way, not our own.